working on an agency with a friend of mine, two of us who were building it. We scaled it to six figures in like one and a half year, but it came crashing down because we made many rookie mistakes. Came on Twitter and I posted that, went off to sleep. I woke up in the morning, somehow that tweet went viral. It got like 300k impressions and 3000 odd likes. Just with that one tweet, I had like, I think probably 10 or 12 leads. One thing that I learned was that once they've delivered, I'll ask them to just come on a quick video call with me and just walk me through their process. So that gives me a fair enough idea of like whether it's them who has actually done it or is it somebody else. In today's episode, we have Shivam Dawan. He is calling us from India, the founder of a design studio called Coloristy. I met Shivam through Andrew Wilkinson's community of entrepreneurs who subscribed to his Twitter account. Shivam reached out to talk about delegation, hiring virtual assistants overseas. And he has been such a generous mind that I wanted to invite him to our podcast to share his experience about running an agency, hiring people, delegating, and growing his agency. Welcome to the podcast. Perfect. Thank you, Monica. And yes, we met through Andrew's community. It's been great, like, uh, knowing you over the past couple of months, you know. That's awesome. And likewise, I think you were the, the first person who reached out to share, you know, resources, information. And it's always, uh, you would think that everybody's like that, but only just a handful of people will go out of their way to help someone. And I always notice those people and want to connect with them. To start, Shabam, I would love to hear, I know your background comes from more like, you know, strategy. You are a designer but you also worked in corporate doing strategy for a large pharmaceutical company. Can I take you back to that experience and how did you end up today in your design studio? Yeah, sure. Currently, I'm running Calvesti, my design studio. Prior to this, around three years back, I used to work as a product manager at a health tech startup in India, Tata 1MG. Right now, it's one of the largest health tech companies in the country uh, when it comes to startups. But back when I joined... Um, we were like, I think, 250 people, 250, 260 people. And like when I joined that place, uh, even before that, uh, I'll go like even two years before that, uh, I was in my final year of college. I had uh, I'd been working on an agency with a friend of mine. Uh, it was a marketing agency. Uh, there were only two of us who were building it. And um, we scaled it to six figures in like one and a half year, but it came crashing down because we made many rookie mistakes. We had multiple people too fast. Uh, so that was like the first uh, thing that happened. Uh, so immediately post that, um, I was like, kind of like broke. I have a question. So that market, sorry to interrupt, but that, that marketing agency, you were running that like on the side while you had your full-time job. Uh, I actually uh, had an internship. Like I had a six-month design internship that I needed to complete my degree. Uh, it was a mandatory course that we needed to go for. Uh, but I was uh, doing an internship as a designer, but in parallel, I was running a design and marketing agency. But I needed that for my degree, so I couldn't leave the internship. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, so you had that experience in that marketing agency. Uh, your background is in design. Correct, yes. Uh, why marketing? How did you get involved with that? Uh, it was it was in my uh, second year of college. I started listening to a lot of Neil Patel and started uh, like 
reading more about SEO and PPC. So that kind of like intrigued me. And that's how like I started uh, reading all about content marketing. At that time, LinkedIn was just like rising in popularity. So I started posting a lot of content on content uh, marketing on LinkedIn. Um, that started getting traction. Uh, so that's how the cycle started. Like I started reading more about content and started posting more about it. So why why not stay in content marketing and go deep, you know, SEO and not do design? I don't know, because like when when I was uh, when I was working at 1MG, when I start restarted my agency on the side at that time, I tried multiple different services. I tried strategy, mark, um, like social media marketing, SEO design. After all of these experiments, one thing was very clear that I wanted to serve something that's uh, very tangible. And that's something that the client can see absolute value right from the beginning. I couldn't justify SEO at that time because SEO is a long game. And as someone who was just starting out, I had to show results fast. So uh, UX was something that I was already very good at. I was uh, since I was working as a PM. So I was day to day involved with multiple designers. So that helped uh, with my credibility. And that's how I started pitching design services. Started off with UX audits then started landing pages and web websites slowly moved on to full full flesh like uh, apps and dashboards that's amazing i love these stories of he just i know like i was somewhere else and then one thing led to the other mm-hmm. and today i'm here is there like a first maybe client or how did coloristi start like if you if you can take us to like the very beginning I think that first client yeah, yeah. is so important. Uh, like, see, uh, like I was, uh, I, I had multiple smaller clients uh, on the side, but that was always like uh, part of like my side hustle when I was ha- working on my full time job. But uh, the very day I quit, um, I put in my papers. I had a notice period of thirty days, um, so um, I immediately came on Twitter and uh, wrote that, "Hey, I just uh, uh, put in my papers and I'm going to start my design agency." It was like ten thirty p.m. Uh, I posted that uh, and I went off to sleep. I woke up in the morning. Somehow that tweet went viral. It ha- it was one of my first tweets. Uh, it got like 300k impressions and 3,000 odd likes, uh, which was very weird. And just with that one tweet, I had like, I think probably 10 or 12 leads come in. Um, and in the very first three days of uh, like officially putting in my papers, I had my first clients. Oh my god, that's that's amazing. Where do you did you already have a Twitter follower? No, 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 audience? not at all. I probably had like I think seventy five followers, and out of which most of those were my friends. But that one tweet. How? Why? Why do you think that? I don't know. Viral? I don't really know. You know, uh, it was just a random three line tweet that hey, I've just quit my job as a PM and I'm going to start my own design agency. Uh, that's about it. So you did not have a design agency already. You were going right, to start right, it. Yes. Like I was just working as a freelancer before that, you know, on the side. So you already had a portfolio. People knew your work. At kind least. of. Yeah. If somebody that like myself, you know, like I don't have background in design, but let's say I want to start, I don't know, a notion agency. Looking back at your success, getting your first clients, what do you think had the most impact for you and could have today? Um, do you mean like when I first began or like as of now? Yeah. So if, if somebody were to start that agency or any agency today, 
what are some of the things that if I if I write a tweet today, you know, like I'm quitting my job, I'm going to start a notion agency. I don't know if I, I would get a lot of traction. What do you think is are things that you think would work today? The t- tweet thing was more of a coincidence, uh, but uh, how that how the tweet led to leads and then those leads became clients. That was mostly I, I think I can attribute that to uh, my website back then. Um, I had put in a lot of my previous work uh, that I was working on uh, on the side. And then I had um, I'd been putting out regular content on Gribble and LinkedIn by then. Twitter was something I hadn't put out anything uh, related to design or uh, like my agency dream till then. Um, but LinkedIn was something where I was posting very regularly about um, all of my learnings. Like and my LinkedIn was mostly sent focused on one content marketing and second uh, my experience as a product manager. So product and UX is something which very closely ties together. So when people saw my content about product, they automatically presumed that okay, I know a lot about UX design, which was uh, true back then as well. Um, but that knowledge just kept on growing. But uh, the main thing was, I think, my dribble and LinkedIn that helped the most. Having building a profile, maybe gradually of your work or projects, right, right. that's something that you maybe help. Right. Um, Today, I know that you have a pretty successful, you know, agency. You talked about the learnings from your first project where you grew too fast. How did you maybe implement some of those learnings for your agency today? Uh, One of the major mistakes I did uh, during my previous agency experience was hiring full-time team members, uh, like, uh, and relying on just one or two clients. Um, And uh, one one thing that I learned was that. Till the time you don't get recurring revenue for at least a year, you cannot really call it MRR. What uh, I I used to do back then was like, say I got a client for three months, that's paying me 4,000 a month. I would have started considering that as a 4K MRR and started hiring based on that. I know rookie mistakes, but like learned a lot with that. First thing that I implemented in this agency was like, I'll take things slow. I'll work with a lot many contractors. I'll have a very strong vetted pool of vet, uh, contractors and freelancers. Only when I'm sure that I can sustain this uh, person for at least uh, one and a half, two years, and I have that amount in the bank, only then I would hire them on a full-time basis. I love that. I'm going through the same in that, you know, I have a few clients for my work and I've done a lot of freelance contractors and I see that... I see the, the the pros and cons, you know, just having to explain things over. And I, I'm at that stage where, oh, should I hire some somebody full time? But I totally agree with you. The the best way to go is to have a larger pool of vetted contractors, right, have yeah. them already trained so they're ready to go. How do you find these contractors? Like how do you what's your your betting process? Oh, it has mostly been uh, finding these people on Insta, uh, Instagram, Dribble, uh, Twitter. But the major part of it has been working on dummy projects with them. For example, like right now, the kind of projects that we're doing at Coloristy, we don't need a lot, lot of motion graphics or animation based work. But I'm anticipating that six months from now, that'll be one of the core requirements of our clients as we move ahead. So at at this stage, we don't need motion graphic designers uh, in in the studio. But I'm already like uh, working with four or five uh, motion graphics designers, small projects. These are just fun projects, so to speak. But I'll give them a proper brief, a proper deadline and just wet them, see uh, which one of these turn out the best, uh, like deliver the best product in like, say, five or six weeks. 
uh, of the of this process i'll know that out of this pool of 10 or 12 shortlisted individuals i can probably move ahead with two or three whenever i need motion graphics related work that's beautiful i i love what you just said i think it's such a practical thing that that i can apply or people can apply for other things how do you design these test or dummy projects one issue that i have sometimes is i will i will give them a project and they will complete the project right. But I am still like, I don't know if I have enough information to vet them. So what what do you look for with these test projects or what kind of elements do you include so you can filter them? Uh, one, one thing would be like uh, I send them very uh, uh, like as close to a real client brief as possible. So uh, it'll be it'll have similar timelines. Probably say if um, if I'm anticipating that this animation would take might be say two weeks of effort or ten days of effort. Uh, that's the exact same timeline that I'll give them. Um, similar budget sizes, and uh, then once they deliver, uh, like the number one thing would be uh, how many questions they ask before they can actually start working on it. Because if they're asking a lot many questions, if they need a lot of information, uh, that's not really a good use of my time. Uh, so I'm probably better off with someone else who needs less information and who, who has worked on similar projects in the past. Uh, the second thing is um, if they're good with English or not, or if, if I need to explain every single thing to them and if English is not their native or second language, it's very difficult to work. Um, the third thing is, of course, the work quality and if they're adhering to the deadline or not. Um, the final thing would be once they've once they've delivered, I'll ask them to just come on a quick video call with me and or a screen share call and just walk me through their process. So that gives me a fair enough idea of like whether it's them who has actually done it or is it somebody else. So there are cases where somebody oh, yeah, else yeah. has to work. Oh, really? Interesting. I mean, ChatGPT or like, you know, uh, that's the other thing. Many times these days, I notice that for these test projects that I give that include for me a little bit of writing, a little bit of processing or synthesizing information. So I give them a big chunk of stuff. What is interesting here? And some of the results are, are, are really like smell like ChatGPT all over. How are you maybe working with that are you embracing these tools like mid-journey and other design ai i don't know help tools or do you do you tell your contractors okay for this one we're not using any ai tools i, I need to see your work see uh in design at least till now there are very few tools that most freelancers are using there are many good tools available who, that can convert say uh text to wireframes but wireframes to visual design is something that is still a very manual process. Uh, unlike GPT, in, uh, unlike say um, in a copywriting experiment, if say I'm sending, uh, I'm asking a freelancer to write 10 tweets on this topic, very easy to do that through GPT and send it across. But versus say uh, designing this entire landing page in Figma is very difficult through GPT. So safe till now, but like there are tools like, for example, there is this tool Relume.io. So what it does is you type out your query. Like for example, I need to create a personal website for myself. I'm a design contractor. Uh, this is what I've done. Um, Relume will generate a very nice wireframe for you. 
um, you can use that wireframe and then create visual design. But uh, that has been like one of the only two good tools that I've come across till now. I might be wrong, but yeah. Yeah, I think AI is is a is is a really interesting place to explore creativity, like assisted creativity. So I, want, I was wondering how you were using those tools, but for I think another thing I've been I've been helping clients taking a PM role if they have a project in mind, working with entrepreneurs, they have a business in mind that they want to sort of like spun really fast, and I will help them. They have a design well, they have a design team, a developer team. But many times for me is is guiding taste, like guiding style. Like I want this kind of style, this kind of vibe, and then they'll put things together. Right. I'm not a developer. I'm not a designer. What do you think is the best way to help guide them? Like how, because sometimes I just want to, I, I know what I want. How can I get there faster? Like <laughs> I know what I want. Well, I sort of know what I want. And the designers and developers are talented, so they have the technical expertise. How can I, what's the best With way the to to get them visualize what I want? So number one thing that I do, and tell me how can I maybe improve this? So for example, I will try to look for the, the closest thing out there to what I want. <laughs> and I'll show them references. Okay. And sometimes we will just like be very close to the reference, you know, <laughs> we'll change a couple colors, but I yeah, think you're already doing what I do over here, like sending a couple of different references and creating a mood board sort of thing. Uh, one thing that has worked really well for me, particularly from a design point of view is uh, not only do I tell our design team members uh, what kind of references can they look at, but we specifically have an entire section. Uh, what should we not consider? Like, and that section includes websites or visual directions that definitely we cannot go for color schemes that don't make sense at all. The kind of, uh, the kind of vibes that definitely we should not be triggered by this brand identity or this website that we are creating. So that creates like a very strong, uh, direction in this, in designers minds, because they can see that what is the kind of vibe that we want and probably say if based on that, they, their mind is going in say three or four different directions based on what we don't want they can easily narrow it down to one or two directions. I, this is like, so it's brilliant. Yeah. This is like so helpful for, for anything, even not design. And I, I already do that. I don't like this style. I don't like that style. Another question that I had Shabam is you have, again, I think the, the design studio is in India. Are you mostly hiring from India? Do you go, do you outsource in other places? What, where do you find good designers? I, I, think it's really hard right india has been like uh one of the major uh places where i found different contractors and now full-time team members by the way we're a team of five now yeah so um everyone's in india but at the same time like i have multiple different contractors who are either in philippines or in indonesia so yeah these th these three have been like the major economies like uh i've worked in uh when it comes to design when it comes to front-end development-related work, it's India, and uh, I've worked with a couple of different developers in Belarus and Ukraine. I don't know if you see it this way, but I, uh, because I'm in this bubble of delegation, you know, virtual assistants, let's hire overseas. I see it everywhere. I feel like everybody on Twitter today is talking about VAs. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm just in a bubble. But do you see this as, you know, like... People are waking up to this new world. 
of delegation or is it just me? I don't know. I mean, like uh, it, it has always been there, but yes, uh, it's getting uh, super popular on uh, uh, on Twitter, especially uh, uh, because like a lot many a lot many people in our circles they listen to my first million podcast, and when Chef uh, Shefford came in, came into picture, and people started talking about uh, overseas talent, and then you would have seen like a couple of tweets by Nick Huber on. Uh, how he's hiring multiple different uh, people in uh, countries like Philippines and paying people $8 or $10 an hour. And then there are people screaming that, oh, you're exploiting them. But then uh, it actually makes sense because those people, had they been working normal, ordinary jobs in the country, they would have been paid like, say, $200 a month, $300 a month. But just because of this arrangement, they're probably earning $600, $700, maybe up to $1,000 a month. So it's a win-win for all. Uh, And yes, like... uh, a lot many people are just uh, like realizing this right now, but it has been always a game, you know, especially when it comes to uh, services based businesses. Yeah, I'm, I'm a late comer, but I, I think there's there's so much to learn still about the art of delegation about because you're working with a remote team. It's very different from working with somebody right next to you in your studio. So, I, I mean, I'm assuming your team is remote. Right. Yes, everyone is. Um, How do you manage a team of five employees and then a bunch of other contractors? I know Cody Sanchez, if I think a few weeks back or if a couple months ago, posted this tweet with, okay, my team will, you know, every time you join my team, you get this Notion page. And it was basically a wiki page. But do you, is that what you have? Like, how? It's a win win for all. Uh, And yes, like, a lot many people are just uh, like realizing this right now, but it has been always a game, you know, especially when it comes to uh, services based businesses. Yeah, I'm, I'm a late uh, comer, but I I think there's um, there's so much to learn still about the art of delegation about because you're working with a remote team. It's very different from working with somebody right next to you in your studio. I mean, I'm assuming your team is remote, right? Yes, everyone is. How do you manage a team of five employees and then a bunch of other contractors? I know Cody Sanchez, if I think a few weeks back or if a couple months ago, posted this tweet with, okay, my team will, you know, every time you join my team, you get this Notion page. And it was basically a wiki page. But uh, do you, is that what you have? Like, how do you manage communication do you use slack do you just do whatsapp i don't know how to communicate with each other it's mostly slack and whatsapp i i personally love using voice notes so i'll keep sending voice note ideas on voice notes to my team members one thing i just told the them voice notes, uh, sorry during, voice notes are on whatsapp or slack yeah on WhatsApp. so you have whatsapp for more fluid stuff right right yes it's it's a very uh, it's a very small company like right? a small team so till now i don't need to create uh, i have i haven't felt the need to create how to work with me document uh, but at the same time uh, whenever we onboard a new contractor or a uh, full-time team member now we let them know that these these have been the kind of previous projects that we have done this is the way we present our client and present our projects this is how we present our projects internally. These are the design systems that we follow. These are the guidelines. But that's mostly very technical and design centric. Uh, when it comes to day-to-day work, um, it's, it's pre- pretty much like uh, whatever uh, way you want to work. The only thing is that uh, we catch up like once every two days or so. That's often. Um, and see like where things are. 
Uh, <laughs> I yeah. thought it was like, like once one, a month. No, days. so once every two days. <laughs> that's, that's pretty often. Yeah, that's like uh, mostly for, you know, active design projects when we're working. But at the same time, like when team members, uh, like, for example, like in one of our recent projects, um, the team is very clear on what they need to build. So they'll take the next seven to eight days building that. So that's almost like around um, one and a half week uh, of work. So then the next output that they'll be sending is like, say, in 10 days from now or nine days from now. And that's when we'll be connecting. And during this time, they'll keep on sending their doubts and questions either on uh, Slack or maybe through voice notes, whatever. This is so cool. A couple of questions, that, you know, follow up questions. You have your your team and then they're they're working on different things. Uh, in terms of workflow, so for for example, a project, a typical project for me where I'm hired by an entrepreneur, I'm managing like a website. Uh, for us, it kind of starts with copy. So we start with copywriting. Right. Once we have the copy, we kind of figure out which sort of layout fits because um, we have a designer. We don't have a designer, but we have a developer with design skills. So that person is taking on both roles, but is more like 80% developer, 20% design. And then there's a mock-up that we do on Figma and then we build most, most of the cases with, you know, WordPress. Is that like, you know, a flow that, you know, in your many years of experience, what is your flow? Maybe like designing with a wireframe and then copy later. What seems to be the, the sweet spot? Originally, like when we began, uh, we were doing wireframe first and copy po uh, post that. As of now, it's uh, uh, copy and then wireframes. But usually it varies from client to client. For example, like there are clients who have a very strong website from a copy point of view. But at the same time, that website is not converting very well. Or it's it's a very, uh, uh, the design is very old school. So uh, when we have such scenarios, we know that we need to start off with the wireframe first and then fit in this copy uh, based on the improved design. But usually when we are building websites from scratch, that's, uh, in those cases, it's copy first and then uh, wireframe. Do you do the copy, your team does, does also copywriting or the client? Yes, you Oh, wow, cool. So it's just really all in all a one-stop solution. Uh, yes, uh, it's though it's only centered towards design though. Uh, for example, like if there is um, a company that needs to improve conversions on their website, so we'll help you both from a design and a copy point of view. But at the same time, if you come to us with say, we need to build your email marketing funnel, uh, that's something that we don't do. Getting gotcha. my point? So it's mostly design centric. Design centric and then more like landing pages or websites. Uh, right. less so right. like email marketing or click funnels but then because right. conversion is very copy driven you also do i have found that out of all the people that i've hired copywriters are the most expensive and i'm like wow i should learn copywriting <laughs> you know um is that the case or am i or am i just getting i don't know am i just just being like totally ripped off uh, I think that is the case when it comes to uh, very creative tasks. Uh, for me, like biggest cost spend is developers. Then copywriters and designers are more or less like yeah, equivalent when it comes to pay. The highest is developers. But and as of now, because like uh, we're working on multiple large UX projects, so the other major cost center is uh, product managers. There are like uh, uh, there are two PMs I'm working with on a contract basis for uh, two individual projects. 
So yeah, it's like uh, developers, PMs, and then copywriters and designers when it comes to the pay. And for copywriters, I've I've worked with copywriters from like the Philippines or from other countries, and I always run into the oh, it's like not quite there. And I you know like uh, these people probably learned English as a second language. I'm also biased I- and prejudiced, prejudiced. But where do you find affordable good copywriters? Uh, tough. Till now, like worked with mostly three copywriters in Kalristi. One of them has been a friend of mine who started as a copywriter, and now she's been picking up freelance projects. The other two, I found one of them on uh, Fiverr. They charge around sixty dollars an article. Um, they were based out of uh, UAE, so started working with them on a regular basis. That started off as a pure article writing based task. But I realized that they're very good when it comes to website copy. So now I work with them on a regular basis for website copy. And um, I haven't found uh, great success on Upwork when it comes to copywriting. I found a lot many good video editors and designers on Upwork. But yeah, like for copy, it has mostly been either referrals or um, I'm a part of multiple smaller marketing groups in India. That helps a lot. Uh, these are people. These are mostly freelancers and contractors who move on from project to project. And these are very active in a few um, marketing-centric and design-centric groups. What's normal? So these WhatsApp groups. these groups are people. Uh, they're like co- group of contractors or group of. Is it more like a job board or people who are in the field, and they're sharing you know resources? You're there as a designer, or you're there as the founder of Coloristi. In a couple of these groups, I am there as the designer, in which like there are other founders who are putting in their design requirements and then people are pitching or maybe reaching out to them directly uh, and then there are a couple of groups in which uh, a couple of groups that I'm a part of um, there it's like I am uh, like looking for people uh, to work with and uh, these are a lot many of these are people from different experiences experience range like a few of them are in college right now then a few of them are like probably say junior copywriters and then there are a few who have been who have been working in copy for the last seven to eight years or ten years now. Of course, they charge a lot, but at the same time, you can be rest assured of the quality. Wow, I I want to be in these secret WhatsApp groups. I feel like there are <laughs> there are a lot of these oh, like. like smaller micro yeah. communities that are very active. Right, right. And you probably remember like when when Andrew first started the WhatsApp group. I don't know if you were there from the very beginning. I was there from like the very very beginning. And it was so active. Everybody was like, it was just like so fun. And then we had same, we same had way. a huge setback when we went to Slack. I don't know if you remember. Right, right, yes. And then an even larger jump when we went from Slack to Telegram. Yeah, so we've been losing people, and I'm I'm really trying to to bring people back to Telegram somehow. I know it's not the best tool, but it's the tool that we have, and we need to work with. Because, you know, WhatsApp ha- is it's nice, but then it becomes such a mess with like a couple, a few hundred people. Right. But um, I, I have my hopes with Telegram. Like I, I, I'm never there. I was never there. Now I'm there like every day. But there's something about these small groups that I, I keep hearing about, I think, starting this year more. Like group, you know, it, it's a, the it next was- Facebook group. I don't know. Is that how it is in India? Uh, didn't get your answer. So in India, is it more, um, I'm noticing that a lot of these small WhatsApp groups are emerging 
And I keep hearing about this secret groups or smaller groups, more exclusive, smaller, more active, uh, kind of like Facebook groups. Is that um, what right. is really popular in India, like Facebook groups, WhatsApp groups? Um, I, I haven't opened Facebook in the last, <laughs> we say, four or five years. Mostly <laughs> Insta, Telegram and WhatsApp, not even Telegram as much. It's mostly WhatsApp. Uh, like, for example, like there are a few community, communities that are invite only, so to speak, in which like uh, probably say, uh, there is a community of UX copywriters in Bangalore in which there are like only 20 or 25 people, but each one of them works at uh, a large MNC in UX copy. So it's it's a very close-knit community of like 25, 30 people. They keep sharing uh, notes related to UX copy, new design systems that are coming up. And since it's uh, invite-only, and a lot many of people, uh, a lot many people in the group need to have a consensus on, okay, like, do we need to add this person or not? Wow, that, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's it's a little bit, I don't know, like if you're in, it's great. If you're out, it's, it's you know, it, it doesn't feel great. But creating like a Discord group or like a Telegram group to me is like, oh my God, that's so much work. But I would love to have a small group of like, you know, like interesting minds, like me collecting my favorite people. And then, you know, just, just like, I wonder if that is a thing that, that could, that we could do. I don't know. I'm just thinking because like, yeah. I'm in a side story. I went to his birthday party and I just, just had, you know, like I, I, I was there with the mindset of, oh my God, like, oh, I need to socialize because I don't like socializing like that. And then like the lady who was sitting next to me had a book in her bag and I was like, oh, book lady, okay. <laughs> and, uh, book lady. And <laughs> yeah, I love people who read books or like, even if it, it like, it doesn't matter what book, somebody who has a book means that they care about words, you know, like about time. Um, so we just have a wonderful conversation. And then I was like, oh, wow, you know, I'm done. Like one person, like for me, it's like just one person and I'm done. Right. <laughs> and I just had a few of those conversations with like two and other people and I started a book club. I was like, okay. do you guys want to like, you know, I would love to meet more people like me too. Oh, like, do you guys like books? Should we start a book club? And very organically, magically, I sort of put together this group of moms, like cool moms. Oh, wow. And we just had our first book club night dinner and it was amazing. And they were all strangers. Oh, so is it something that you're still doing right now? I just now, started, like, like I did it last week. So good. we just meet once a month, not to, you know, like make it too hard. And it, and it, there's no leader. There's like no, like there's, there's no head. We just, I picked the first book, which was okay. Um, another mom suggested another book. So we just, you know, we have the book for the next round. And it's very like, just very effortless. And that's, that's my theme this year. Let's just, you know, let's just, I don't want to try too hard. <laughs> so how does it work? Like you decide one book that everybody else would, everyone would read and then you'll talk about right. it or like anyone can read. It. No. So it's just us. It's just us. And then we have one. It's not even a WhatsApp group. It's a text messaging group. And it's just like four of us. Okay. And we just have like little chit chat here about kids and, and you know, like we don't talk so much about the book. We meet once a month. We pick the book a month before, so we have one month to read. And then I'm already Got excited it. about the next month when I meet them. Makes sense. Um, right. Do you, like, are you, I know you reached out to me before. 
uh, and you were interested in like starting new, you know, a new business, a new agency. Um, what is what are you looking into these days? Whether it's project, a business, or maybe a community you're trying to start, or like a new hobby. Uh, at the start of the year, anything interesting that you were thinking about? Uh, the number one priority for me this year, uh, it, it was the same last year as well. Like uh, it's it's my physical health. Uh, like I I we I used to weigh like 120 kg uh, like almost a year back. Uh, I've reduced around 25, 24, 23 kg. Um, so this year I'm targeting like I need to lose even to, uh, around 15 kg more. Um, so that, that's the number one, uh, North star metric that I'm, uh, chasing this year. And one personal goal that's happening is that I'm getting married next month. So, uh, yeah, that's like Indian weddings yeah, so are I'm huge. Marry my, oh like yeah. This three is weeks to long huge, or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're like yeah, really yeah, long, like a couple of days. Right. Right. So, uh, that is like, that'll be one of the defining moments of this year, you know, and it's just next month. Uh, it's in fact, it's on 10th February, oh like God. exactly one month from now. You yeah. should post photos. I want like more like random things on the, on the telegram. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah definitely. What, you know, in terms of like businesses that you're, are you expanding? Are you thinking about a new business? Like there it's so easy to start a business these days. <laughs> Are you like starting anything new? Uh, no, uh, I just want to focus on the design agency. Like that's the only focus because I tried dabbling in multiple businesses uh, over the last year or so, but I realized that I'm not very good at managing multiple different things at once, especially when uh, my primary business is relatively young. And, and doing uh, well. It's like the, uh, yes, it's going. So that's the uh, that's the only goal I have. Like um, numbers wise, uh, I'm targeting 500k this year. So that's the number one goal that I have. Are most of your clients where are they based? Europe, US, Canada, Latin America? Where? As of now, uh, we don't have uh, European clients. Most of these clients are either in the US, Canada, or India. In, in yeah, that's about it. And if you had to, uh, if you had like to to pitch your company in, in like in less than a minute, how would you sell your company? What is like, what is your company good at? Uh, we're one of the best design studios in the country, and we specialize in um, UX design for SaaS products. Like that's our core speciality: um, SaaS products, dashboards, and mobile apps. Any companies that you are like really proud of, like you know, this is like one of my our best products out you know like metal lab has slack for example they always talk about slack what is your slack this is company zeta.io that we worked with we built their entire product during uh during their you know, first uh, phase of the product uh, spanning thousand plus screens they went on to become product on number two product of the day then there's this public company in india i i cannot name that but uh, we've been working with them currently uh, it's a public healthcare company so that's one of our largest clients and then uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to a few vc funded startups we've been uh, we've worked with two or three very well known names these are uh, i don't know if you're aware of this fund uh, antler i've heard yeah so antler yeah so antler just really uh, started investing in india and one of the first batches of antler uh, like we worked with multiple companies from their first batch in india and all of this has been through word of mouth and referrals so in fact this year one of my main focus focus areas is uh, having a proper sales process 
which is more outbound focused and not referral centric how do you like that's that's i think what everybody is thinking about these days like sales cash flow have you found anything that like is gaining traction like how to do outbound sales based on your like seo experience marketing and growth uh, still figuring it out. Uh, one of the major things that has worked for me in the past is uh, putting out content on Twitter and LinkedIn. Interesting. So uh, Twitter is uh, so Twitter is something that I'll be uh, I, like I'm I'm very focused on. Um, just crossed thousand followers. Uh, I know uh, no, small numbers, awesome. but uh, just crossed first thousand uh, last week. It took a long time, uh, but one thing that I've realized is when it comes to our sales cycle. We get a lot many leads from Twitter. Me and my team members will reach out to people on Twitter and uh, we'll get our initial leads from there. We'll be interacting with them over a longer period of time. And uh, they come to our LinkedIn, they take a look at the content over there. They probably look at our dribble and then the sales cycle closes, but it's almost like a four to five month cycle, uh, right from the first contact till the final sale. That is interesting. I this year, last year, I was like, oh, I know, like, I need to do TikTok. But then, like, I finally said, I'm not a TikTok person. Like, I cannot do that. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, like, I decided no more thinking about doing that. But instead, I definitely want to focus on, well, Twitter, of course, but LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm surprised you did not mention Instagram because it's like the visual sort of platform. But like you said, maybe the builders are not there. Like, the consumers are on Instagram but maybe the, the SaaS creators are like on LinkedIn and Twitter. I've used Insta till now only as a portfolio right, right. tool. Whenever we need to, whenever uh, I need to quickly pitch my services or I just need to show that what all have you done in the past, uh, I just send our Insta link that showcases like, oh, the pretty pitches. Right, right. Like uh, these guys have done some good work. But then again, when it comes to leads, I haven't found any direct leads from Insta yet. The other reason is... Uh, Till now, I've never focused on Instagram as a platform because uh, uh, personal preference, but I always thought that uh, I might not get high ticket clients from mm-hmm. Insta and high ticket clients would be on platforms like Twitter, LinkedIn and uh, Twitter and LinkedIn mostly. I definitely want to um, just really zero in on LinkedIn and you've been on LinkedIn for a lot longer and you're like marketing SEO. SEO is another thing that, you know, like you, you mentioned, Nick Patel, I think the, the SEO guy. I'm not asking for an SEO guidance, but like for LinkedIn, what has worked for you? It's just like sharing content, like teaching, like what what has worked for you? L- long form content, long form uh, content, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. One thing, one thing that uh, I've realized, at least with my LinkedIn, is that I'll get a lot many eyeballs when I put out content that teaches granular stuff. For example, like if I'll put a post of um, how to create a form, like the best practices for form design or 10 error states that you need to consider while designing your mobile app. These are the kind of posts that will get uh, a lot of traction as compared to talking about my journey. On Twitter, it has been the opposite experience. On Twitter, when I post about my journey that, okay, this week, this is what I'm learning and this is uh, this is uh, what I did wrong in the business and this is what I learned. That works very well as compared to some, putting something like that on LinkedIn. I put this kind of content on LinkedIn, all, I'd, all I'll get is crickets, like 20 views, 30 views versus 2,000, 3,000 if I'm putting out a long-form content piece. On and LinkedIn. a long-form piece that is designed to educate and teach. Right, right. Educate and teach, and it's it's specifically in bullet formats or numbered lists. 
listicles that's basically. what works on linkedin okay i'm gonna i'm gonna give that a try for a month and report back <laughs> yeah definitely. um in fact you know like even i need to like get back on linkedin let's uh, make it yeah, a regular let's, thing yeah you know? let's keep each other accountable but you're getting married yeah, in a it. month maybe are you are you like going to do it after the month after the getting married or before yes, <laughs> okay. after i'm i'm, I'm month of february off so to speak i'm getting married since i'm getting married on 10th i'll be traveling uh, almost the entire month for start i'm going to malaysia so i'll be spending like almost two or three weeks in malaysia and post that it'll be in february again okay that's that's i think this is a good place to to end uh with a little goal for ourselves no keep each other accountable yeah, i'm gonna good. do regular posting on linkedin teaching like you said not not very like reflective posts um i'm gonna try because i this is the year of trying no goals trying and it was so fun to talk to you uh shivam and, and thank you so much for sharing so openly about your work 